Imagine the excitement of Europeans going abroad and discovering gold, sugarcane, and coffee. But that project of imperialism required money. A lot of that money had to come with trust. How can you sell a pretend colony to investors? Find out today on Footnoting History. Welcome to today's episode of Footnoting History. I am Leslie Skousen, and today I'm going to spin a tale about fraud and paradise. Get-rich schemes need two elements in order to succeed. First, a realistic story, and second, people who need to believe it. Think about people who succumb to pyramid schemes, believing that it is reasonable to take a cut of other people's sales. It sounds like being a normal middleman. But if you think more deeply about it, you start to realize that you aren't doing any work, the system is unsustainable, and those on the lower rungs of the pyramid will always, always lose money. A Ponzi scheme is similar, investing in something, but really just creating a line of people who pay each other up chain. Person B pays person A, person C pays person B, until the last person in line is simply out of money. But pyramid and Ponzi schemes need an excellent and believable story in order to trick people into joining. Schemes need a logical story to succeed and a target group of people with money to invest. Enter Gregor McGregor, an officer with the British Navy who was sent around the Americas as part of his commission. His career in the British Navy, visiting the New World colonies, allowed him to craft one of the most reasonable-sounding and realistic stories in 1822. By using his colonial experiences, he created a fictional country named Poyer and sold the land, company shares, and trading rights to investors back in Scotland, England, and France. McGregor's scheme was so effective precisely because of the moment in time he lived. So the story of Poyer is, in part, the story of what was going on socially, economically, and politically in Europe. First, some background. The Napoleonic Wars rocked Europe between 1798 and 1815. The upheaval of the French Revolution paved the way for Napoleon's particular style of imperialism. His successful conquest across Europe contributed to the decline and collapse of the Spanish Empire. Granted, Spain had a crisis of succession, but that crisis provided Napoleon with the opportunity to invade. While trying to maintain that domestic front during a crisis of leadership, Spain was forced to almost entirely abandon their imperial pursuits in the New World. This left much of the Caribbean and South and Central America without a strong European power. Remaining European imperialists hoped to make the most of this reshuffling of colonies. Now, at the same time, these wars and imperial shifts occurred amidst a backdrop of the Industrial Revolution. The adoption of factories and upheaval of village life created vast fortunes while eliminating entire professions. England and Scotland experienced explosive economic growth due to the fortunes being made during industrialization. A merchant class began to accumulate enormous wealth through the development and ownership of factories. This was complemented by overseas trade and unconventional discoveries in efficient manufacturing. The changes would not only affect laborers and productivity, they also created a whole new class of extremely wealthy families. These successful businessmen would need new opportunities to invest their money. 
Furthermore, investments in the new world could return enormous sums of money for relatively little action. And most of all, investments in the new world required a lot of faith. Unlike local investments, foreign investments could not be reviewed by touring a property or interviewing locals. Money was needed and fortunes were made, but they were all contingent on believing the spokesman who had traveled the ocean, visited the foreign land in person. Everything was built on trust and word of mouth. This leads us to Gregor McGregor's dramatic career. He was the son of an officer in the East India Company, born in Scotland in 1786 and soon employed by colonial forces in the Royal Navy. He had fought in the Napoleonic Wars before serving in various British colonies in the Americas. After capturing a small island off the coast of Florida in 1817, he began to dabble in colonization and leadership by declaring himself, get this, the leader of the Republic of the Floridas. His name, the Republic of the Floridas, was for a single island of Amelia, which is near the modern-day border of Florida and Georgia. His idea was that by capturing one of the ports in Florida, this could lead to a base for taking over more of Central or South America, and capturing Amelia Island might be the beginning of a republic. Fake it till you make it. If he declared himself a leader, he could position himself to maintain control against the United States and expand an empire anew in the Americas. Establishing a republic off the coast of Florida would be a great boon to the British presence in the Americas. Keep in mind that Great Britain's operations had been greatly reduced since losing the American colonies to the Revolutionary War just a few decades earlier. But McGregor's idea to create a Republic of the Floridas, dominated by the British Empire, would require supplies, men, investors. He had none of these things. McGregor successfully raised $160,000 through a combination of selling scripts of land ownership, kidnapping slaves and then selling them, and falsifying a system of government credit, which would be worthy for favorable loans. Ultimately, the attempt to turn Amelia Island into a Grand Republic of the Floridas would fail. As you can imagine, we've probably never heard of it. Spanish forces overtook their Floridian island, and McGregor returned to Britain. Yet this significant early story for the 1817 Amelia Island affair would become highly influential in McGregor's later schemes. It was so easy for him to persuade people to support this endeavor. Barely anything could be done to check his facts independently. No one wanted to spend a whole year of their lives crossing the Atlantic in order to prove a stock tip. He ultimately had complete control over the information. This scheme had both elements that we need in order to succeed. First, a compelling, reasonable story, and second, people with money who needed a place to invest. Furthermore, his timing was perfect. The post-Napoleonic War saw a shift in power, and the Industrial Revolution saw newly minted wealth that required a place to invest their fortunes for safekeeping. And so, from 1822 until 1837, McGregor made a fortune off of other people's fortunes. The South and Central American nations began toppling regimes and declaring independence, and McGregor took that moment to return to the British Islands carrying a new title, Cacique of the Principality of Poyer. As cacique, or prince, he was authorized to locate settlers and investors who would be able, and willing, to colonize, invest, plunder, and grow rich on the massive resources found on this 12,500 square miles of island paradise. 
He even published a sketchbook to document the island's many beautiful and bountiful resources. He claimed the island of Poyet to be roughly the size of Wales, full of silver and gold, with rich, lush forests, ample fruits, and exotic produce found throughout its shores. The water running through the island was the freshest he had ever tasted, and its riverbeds held generous nuggets of gold ready to be plucked by those simply walking past. The local population he described as beautiful but docile, eager to work hard and comfortable in the sun and heat. They were an ideal workforce to tame the land and mine the spoils. At the time of MacGregor's tale, Scotland had no official colony of its own. The one Scottish endeavor had ended in tragedy and failure 200 years prior. The so-called Darien Scheme was a Scottish attempt to colonize modern-day Panama and establish a base in the New World. They had chosen Panama in the 1690s, and the goal had been to protect the land that is now the Panama Canal, potentially a key area for traders and possibly a lucrative refueling area connecting North and South America. Unfortunately, the Scots were ill-prepared for the climate and the full project of resettlement. Poor planning and a series of severe illnesses made the whole project even more impossible. Even today, this area remains largely inhabited due to the difficult terrain and the tropical diseases. The settlers died in the elements, lacking nutrition and suffering from multiple diseases. The entire project was a failure in every measurement. It destroyed not only the lives of those who attempted to colonize the area, but also the lives of their families and the investors back home. Incredibly, by one estimate, a full 20% of Scotland's entire circulating currency was wrapped up in this venture, so its failure affected the entire kingdom. So, that history adds severe context to MacGregor's new story. Poyet could be Scotland's new chance. Poyet could be its ideal colony. Poyet could be a victory over tragedy. MacGregor soon established a trading company. He built a network of interesting salon-dwelling philosophs and investors throughout major cities in England and Scotland. They were often wealthy men of leisure who viewed investments as a fun opportunity to learn more about the world while making pretty easy money. The presence of such grand men around MacGregor was catnip to the merchants whose fortunes were made in smaller mill towns or industrial centers like Manchester, Hull, or Derby. His speciality, though, was in swindling his own people, other Scots who were seeking a place to invest their money or their own lives. To all, he offered 2,000 bonds priced out at 1,000 pounds each, promising returns of at least 3% interest. He did not only speak to those with great fortunes, however, he also reached out to the poor who were considering emigration to the New World. Land sales went for mere shillings per acre, a new opportunity came over the horizon to those who could scrape together a small amount and move their families abroad to build those fortunes. Even the poor who could not bring any money to purchase land signed away whatever money they could find by enlisting to be shoemakers, educators, laborers, and servants. Finally, he began offering the, to exchange pounds for the local currency of Poyet, building within himself a bank that took real pounds from Englishmen and Scotsmen and exchanged it for the worthless currency in Poyet. This proved to be so popular that offices for Poyet opened up in London, Glasgow, and Edinburgh in order to facilitate more interest, exchange more currency, and sell more land. MacGregor was a money-making machine.
Eventually, these owners of what appeared to be great estates in Poyer began to make arrangements for their sea cross voyage to a new life. This is where things began to unravel. As we know, Poyer did not exist, certainly not within the parameters as it had been sold in exchange for so many life savings. When a few hundred people arrived in 1822, instead of a lush paradise, they encountered a dismal jungle on a tiny island with little edible food and no friendly natives. Three quarters of those who arrived perished due to the lack of food and resources. The survivors either fled to nearby British colonies or limped their way home, penniless and ill. At this point, MacGregor fled to France and began again. After settling in Paris, he took his research and other materials and began translating his pitch for a French audience. His approach was successful and he began selling new shares, but before his scheme could grow in force, bilingual witnesses learned of the initial British disaster. MacGregor was soon arrested and his colleagues attempted to flee. One successfully escaped to the Netherlands while the others were held in jail. Audaciously, MacGregor then issued an official document claiming diplomatic immunity as the Prince of the Republic of Poyer. Initially, the French courts ignored this claim, but MacGregor's lawyer prepared a 5,000-word brief describing his activities and position in the independent Republic of Poyer. You'll note that it was a republic in France, but a principate in England. They characterized the French court as challenging the Republic's attempts at independence. And incredibly, this defense worked. While MacGregor's accomplices were convicted at a separate trial, MacGregor was found not guilty and permitted to travel back home to Scotland. And he began a third time to swindle his European peers of their fortunes. Continuing to embrace the moniker of Cacique of the Republic of Poyer, MacGregor amazingly began a third attempt to swindle industrialists and laborers with his Poyer scheme. He continued to refine his documents, even going so far as to write a constitution in the 1830s. However, by this time, there were enough newspaper articles and scandal papers published about the so-called Republic of Poyer that many people learned the truth before actually handing over their life savings. Eventually, MacGregor had to give up his scheme. No one believed him anymore. He retired to Venezuela, drew a naval pension, and died in 1845. He was never convicted for having ruined the lives of so many. It is rather fascinating to consider the many converging trends that allowed the story of Poyer to flourish. Gregor McGregor's own life experience in watching empires flux and grow throughout his military career created a reasonable opportunity to build fortunes. His capacity for charm persuaded people to trust him, and his familiarity with distance and the function of Caribbean islands lent a believable element to his details. He also knew how to play the nascent London Stock Exchange. His invented company shares were traded alongside proven successes like the East India Company. What would make one imperial company authentic and the other one suspicious? McGregor's success was embedded in the realism of the time. Dominated by the aftermath of the Napoleonic Wars, the shift in Europe's imperial holdings, and the unpredictable nature of fortune building in the midst of the Industrial Revolution. Ultimately, Poyer was a fiction and McGregor's scheme was a failure. But it was a failure of grandiose scale, perhaps only matched by Bernie Madoff in modern times. 
His story serves as a reminder that all investment advice must be taken with a grain of salt, and no promises are worth much if you cannot find any evidence to support great claims. I hope this inspires you to think about money-making schemes and investments carefully. Never trust the charming man who seems to have all the answers. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes.